Hello, welcome to the Sermons Podcast of Horizon Church in Allentown, Pennsylvania. We want to help people connect with God and connect with each other. If you'd like to know more about us, you can go to our website at horizonconnect.org. Enjoy. Okay, hey, good morning again, everybody. So there's, uh, I, I think we're going to, if we can put a, the picture up, the first picture up. This is a guy uh, from MIT, uh, a guy named Pawan Sinha, who um, started and he, um, there, this guy, uh, Pawan Sinha, he started and he leads a project in India called Project Prakash, which is also part of the slide up there. And this guy um, has started this project in India to actually give sight to children who are blind. blind. Project Sinha, or Project Prakash, is a word that means Project Light in India. And the whole goal is to give sight to to children who are blind. And it turns out in India, because of, for all kinds of reasons, but because of uh, hygiene, because of access to care, because of poverty, 30% of all the blind people in the world actually live in India. Now, 40% of those blind people could actually be cured if they were able to get treatment. So, Pawan Sinha's job, his goal in life, is to actually bring treatment to the blind people in in India. And they've discovered it's uh, incredibly successful in bringing sight to, to people, to children who are born blind. But one of the sobering realities that they've discovered is that this only actually works for children. Uh, it's only children who, who have the brains who, if you're born blind, only their brains are actually able to start processing what is necessary if you are given sight when you are born blind. And they discovered this kind of tragically and sadly. What they've discovered, if, that, if there's an adult who is born blind, and, he, and if, even if his sight is treatable, if they give him back his sight or her, an adult's mind, an adult's brain is not able to process everything that goes into having sight if they never had it before. So, for example, one example, uh, adults who are given sight after being born blind, they're, they, they're not able to process what a shadow is. They will think that a shadow is a real thing, which is obviously something really confusing. And what has happened in India, tragically, is that when they gave sight to people, to adults, who were born blind, they might be overjoyed at first with the fact that they get to see again, but very, very quickly, these adults will slide into some really serious mental health issues. They get seriously depressed. There's an incredible number of suicides by adults who are given sight after being born blind. Believe it or not, many, many adults will actually blind themselves intentionally after having been given sight. Many of them actually they're able to just mentally turn off their eyes and they will go through the rest of their lives, even though their eyes see, they'll go through the rest of their life living as if they're, if they're still blind. And it's an astonishing thing, really, that there, there are people, adults, who have eyes that can see. Their eyes are able to see, and yet they never really learn to see. Their eyes can see and yet they never really learn to see. I have to tell you, during the last three months of this pandemic, as well as the last two weeks of turmoil in our country, I think that there are lots and lots and lots of us who really need to learn to see again. 
And because I'm a guy who believes in a God who can do miracles, I don't think it's too late, even for us big people. I think we can learn to see. But I really do think that we need to learn to see again. So what I want to do is I want to pray for all of us, for myself, for you, for all of us, for Horizon Church, that, that we will actually learn to see again. So let's pray. God, I thank you for uh, a man and his team who are bringing sight to children all across India and that kids who are born blind are able to see again. God, I pray for us as human beings. I pray for all of us as individuals, and I pray for us as a church that we would be people who are willing to learn to see again. God, I pray that when we talk about this story in John chapter 9, I pray, God, that if I say anything incorrect or wrong, that you'll guard us from being influenced the wrong way. But I also pray that you'll take truth from John 9 and you will influence us in such a way that we'll be transformed into the people you want us to be. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So I'm going to read a story. Now, this is a long story, longer than I would normally read. It's going to take a while, but it's in John chapter 9. This is a story that is all about seeing and learning to see. Jesus is going to take the occasion of healing a man who is also born blind, and he's going to talk a lot about how we all need to learn to see. So seeing is going to be the theme. And there are people in this story, all kinds of people, all kinds of people who have eyes to see, their eyes work, and yet they're never really able to learn to see. So pay attention to seeing in this story, and then we're going to talk about it. John chapter 9. So it starts out by saying, as Jesus was walking along, he saw a man who had been blind from birth, now, Rabbi, his disciples asked him, why was this man born blind? Was it because of his parents' sins or his own sins? Jesus answered, it wasn't because of his parents' sins or his own sins. This happened so the power of God could be seen in him. We must quickly carry out the tasks assigned to us by the one who sent us. The night is coming and then no one can work. But while I am here in this world, I am the light of the world. Then Jesus spit on the ground, made mud with saliva, and he spread mud over the blind man's eyes. And he told him, go wash yourself in the pool of Siloam. Parenthetically, Siloam means scent. So the man went and washed and came back seeing now his neighbors and others who knew him as a blind beggar asked each other, isn't this the man who used to sit and beg? Some said he was. Others said, no, he just looks like him. But the beggar kept saying, yes, I am the same one. They asked, well, who healed you? What happened? And he told them, the man they called Jesus made mud, spread it over my eyes, and told me, go to the pool of Siloam and wash yourself. So I went and washed, and now I can see. Well, where is he now? They asked. I don't know, he replied. Then they took the man who'd been blind to the Pharisees because it was on the Sabbath that Jesus made the mud and healed them. The Pharisees asked the man all about it, so he told them, well, he put mud over my eyes, and when I washed away, I could see. Some of the Pharisees said, well, this man, Jesus, is not from God. 
for he's working on the Sabbath. Others said, but how could an ordinary sinner do such miraculous signs? So there was deep division of opinion among them. Then the Pharisees again questioned the man who'd been blind and demanded, what's your opinion about this man who healed you? The man replied, well, I think he must be a prophet. The Jewish leaders still refused to believe the man who'd been blind and could now see, so they called in his parents. They asked them, is this your son? Was he born blind? If so, how can he see? His parents replied, we know that it's our son. We know he was born blind, but we don't know how he can see or who healed him. Ask him. He's old enough to speak for himself. Now, his parents said this because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders who had announced that anyone saying Jesus was the Messiah would be expelled from the synagogue. That's why they said, he's old enough, ask him. So for the second time, they called in the man who had been blind and told him, God should get the glory for this because we know this man, Jesus, is a sinner. I don't know whether he's a sinner, the man replied, but I know this, I was blind and now I see. But what did he do, they asked. How did he heal you? Look, the man exclaimed, I told you once, didn't you listen? Why do you want to hear it again? Do you want to become his disciples too? And they cursed him. And they said, you are his disciple, but we are disciples of Moses. We know God spoke to Moses, but we don't even know where this man comes from. Well, that's very strange, the man replied. He healed my eyes, and you don't, you don't even know where he comes from. We know that God doesn't listen to sinners, but he's ready to hear those who worship him and do his will. Ever since the world began, no one's been able to open the eyes of someone born blind. If this man were not from God, he couldn't have done it. You were born a sinner, they answered. Are you trying to teach us? And they threw him out of the synagogue. When Jesus heard what had happened, he found the man and he asked, So do you believe in the Son of Man? And the man answered, Who is he, sir? I want to believe in him. You have seen him, Jesus asked, and he is speaking to you. Yes, Lord, I believe, the man said, and he worshiped Jesus. Then Jesus told him, I entered this world to render judgment, to give sight to the blind, and to show those who think they see that they are blind. Some Pharisees who were standing there heard him, and they asked, Are you saying we are blind? If you were blind, you wouldn't be guilty, Jesus replied. But you remain guilty because you claim that you can see. So, here's a story that's all about seeing. It is not just about a single blind man who is now able to see. It's a story about how every single person in that account sees or fails to see. Every single person in this story has a particular bias, and that is that everybody in this story is shaped by how they choose, how they choose to see the world they're living in. And I'll tell you, I think that's one of the hardest truths for all of us to face, that every single one of us has a bias. Every single one of us chooses to see the world in a certain way. And you believe that the way you see the world 
is the truth. And you'd be a fool to think otherwise. The problem is that everybody in this story thinks the same thing. They think that they see the world according to the truth, and obviously there's a whole bunch of them who are wrong. And that is very sobering to me. It's very scary to me. And I find myself actually wondering, am I willing to admit that the way I'm seeing the world might be wrong? So here's what we're going to do. We're going to actually walk through each person or each particular group of people. We're going to look at how they see the world and try to figure out what's their bias. What's causing them to see the world incorrectly? We're going to start with Jesus because this account starts out very simply by saying something very simple. It says that while Jesus was walking along, he saw a man who had been born blind. You know, I think in this whole story, I think Jesus is the only one. He is the only person who actually sees what's right there in front of him. He's the only one. He's the only one who sees a man who was born blind. He doesn't see a cause. He doesn't see a reason to debate. He doesn't see a chance to either break or keep a religious law. He sees a human being who was born blind. And he sees a man who has been blind for every second of his life and he needs to be healed. Now, when I read this, I think it's actually worth taking some time to kind of make an editorial comment about what I read. I don't know if you got hung up in any particular sentence, but I always do. If you look at what Jesus says when he starts to explain this, in verse 3, Jesus says a thing that kind of trips me up every time I read this. Jesus says this, this happened, and he's talking about the man's blindness, this happened so that the power of God could be seen in him. And every time I read this, I trip over that because that seems unusually cruel. That God would make a man to be blind and sit there for decade after decade after decade of his life being a blind beggar, simply waiting for the one day when Jesus would come along and heal him. And I find that to be cruel. Now, depending on the English Bible translation that you happen to be looking at, your Bible might not say it that way because translations tend to go in two very different directions. And yours might say something very different than what I read. So, Here's the deal with this, and stick with me on this because we're going to get, this is going to be kind of tough. But in the Greek language, John, John who was actually an eyewitness to this, he saw this. John was writing in Greek, and John wrote in Greek, he, there's this, in the Greek language, there is what we call a purpose clause. And if you're looking at your translation, that, trans, that purpose clause is probably two little words. Uh, you can actually maybe just take those flowers off. They're going to kind of blow off. Sorry about that with the windows open. I apologize. Um, the purpose clause is just two words, and the two words are so that. In other words, in the translation that I read, uh, that purpose clause is attached to the blind man. It'll say something like, the man was blind so that the power of God could be seen in him. Now, that purpose clause has always tripped up translators and Bible scholars, and they always struggle with it because they're never sure what that purpose clause is actually attached to. 
And some attach it to that first phrase, that he was blind so that the power of God could be revealed in him. Now, I am not a scholar in Greek, and I'm not a Bible scholar or a grammar scholar that understands all this, but there are a whole lot of other Bible scholars, and I tend to agree with them, other translators, who actually say that that purpose clause should be attached to the next phrase in our English Bible. So if you look at the next phrase in your Bible, it'll probably be about verse 4. The next phrase says something about Jesus saying we have to quickly be about the work that God sent us to do. And many people think that the purpose clause actually belongs attached to that phrase. So what you would have is this. You would have Jesus saying, we must quickly carry out the task assigned to us by the one who sent us so that the power of God could be seen in him. And grammatically and theologically, that makes the most sense that what God is saying here is that what Jesus saw is that Jesus saw a man who was born blind and he saw a chance to do the work that God had sent him to do. That's what Jesus saw. Not a man that God had said, I'm going to make you suffer for all kinds of years, for decades and decades and decades, just waiting for an opportunity to Jesus come by and heal you. But what Jesus saw is a man who was born blind, who every second of his life was blind, and Jesus said, this is an opportunity for me to do the work that God has sent me to do. That's what Jesus saw. A man who was born blind and a chance to do what God had sent him to do. So that's what Jesus saw. Let's go on to the next group of people. The next group of people are Jesus' disciples. You meet them very quickly. I I don't know, verse 2, something like that. And this is a really fascinating question that his disciples asked. And I actually had, you have to say this slowly and ponder this question so you get at the heart of the problem for how they're thinking. They asked Jesus, who sinned, this man or his parents, so that he was born blind? Now, so that you understand the problem in that sentence, I'm going to edit it, and I'm going to say it slowly and see if you understand the problem. They ask, did this man sin so that he was born blind? Do you understand the problem in that question? Their thinking is that this guy even was, wasn't even born yet, And they are assuming he could have been guilty of some sin pre-birth to cause his blindness. So here's the deal with what they're thinking. The Jewish people at the time, as well as many, many people even today, believe that we get what we deserve. They believed in a very cause and effect world. And they believed, well, if a person is born with some deformity or some handicap, then it must be possible for us to be guilty of sin as a fetus or pre-birth. It must be possible for us to be guilty of some sin if we're born with some deformity or some handicap. Now, there's a word for this. It's a word that comes out of Eastern religion. It's the word karma. And it's the belief that your actions from a previous life determine your existence in this life. 
And I will be honest with you, we use that word all the time. It's karma, we say, because we would like to believe in that kind of a world. It's comforting us for us to be able to look at a person or to look at a person who's suffering and to secretly think, well, I wonder what he did to deserve this. It's comforting for us to think that suffering has a cause. That's exactly the thinking of Job's friends in the book of Job. If you ever read the book of Job, over and over for chapter after chapter after chapter in Job, Job is protesting his innocence. I don't deserve this, he's saying. And yet his friends think differently. They say, well, nice try, Job. Nice try, but God knows better. So why don't you just confess your sin? Whatever it is that you did to deserve this, just confess your sin and get it over with. Now, I think a lot of us would like to believe in a world like that, a world of karma, where karma's true, that we always get what we deserve. For example, until a couple years ago, if a guy got arrested, I always assumed, well, he got what he deserved. And if for some reason it was proven that he was innocent of that crime, I would always think, well, he had to have been doing something wrong. Innocent people don't get themselves arrested. I don't believe that anymore. In fact, I know that's not always true. I know it's not. I know that innocent people sometimes get arrested, that overzealous prosecutors can be wrong. And I can promise you that coming to that belief shook me to my core. Because like the disciples, I really prefer a cause and effect world. That's just not our world. That's not the one we live in. So here's what the disciples were seeing. They did not see a man who was blind all of his life. They saw a man who deserved what he got. And that's a really sad thing, isn't it? It's a really sad thing. So the next group of people are the man's neighbors, the blind man's neighbors. Now, this is, this is a real little interesting detail that we kind of skip over when we read this story. But there's this fascinating exchange that happens with the blind man's neighbors. They see this guy that they've seen all of their lives. He used to sit on the street corner all the time being the blind man. And yet now they see this guy who's healed and they actually have a debate. Is this the guy or isn't it? Some said it was. Some said it wasn't. And do you know why they're actually having this debate or, you know, is this him or isn't it? Do you know why they're actually having this? Because for two or three or four decades, for however long it was that this blind guy was sitting there, they never really looked at him. They never really saw him. Do you know how you can be walking down a street or driving in a car and you, you see a guy down the street ahead of you, a guy who's holding a cardboard sign, and you know that the guy's going to be looking for help, and you think, well, I shouldn't say you. We'll talk about me. I know what I do. I always think, well, my goal is going to be to avoid eye contact. Because if I don't look, I can pretend I don't see him and then I don't have to help. Now, for the Jewish people, 
charity, or sometimes called almsgiving, was a really, really important part of their faith, kind of one of the pillars of their faith. So probably, probably, almost every day, almost all of these neighbors would have dropped some coins in the blind man's basket. And yet, they never really looked at him. Because there is something about the brokenness of our world that makes us want to look away. We just don't want to see it. At least we don't want to see it if we think we're going to get caught looking. So whether it's a person who has scars on his face or whether it's a person with some disability or a blind beggar, we just don't really look at him. We don't want to look at him. So the neighbors end up having this debate. Is it really the guy? Some said no, some said yes. So you see what they were seeing? Not a man who'd been healed, and that should be a cause of celebration. They saw an object of charity, a way to do a good deed, but they never really saw a person. Now, because of this debate, because they're actually debating, was it him or wasn't it him, they actually tried to settle the debate by taking this man to the Pharisees. Now, I'm going to skip over the Pharisees for just a couple seconds, because before we get to the Pharisees, there's an actual, there's a really, there's another group of people, and this one really fascinates me, uh, what they were seeing. Um, there's the man's parents. Uh, the parents get called in by the Pharisees, and they get interrogated by the Pharisees. And while the parents acknowledge, yeah, it's our son, yeah, he was born blind, and yeah, now he sees, I would like to think that my parents would have my back more than the parents in this particular story, because they pretty much say to the Pharisees, this is his problem, not ours. And John tells us why they were thinking this way. John says, because they were afraid. See, the Pharisees had the ability to kick you out of the synagogue. And being kicked out of the synagogue is very different than being kicked out of a church today, where if you get kicked out of a church today, you can just say, you know, there's one two blocks down the street, and they have a better coffee bar than you do anyway, so there. It doesn't hurt as much to get kicked out as it did then. To get kicked out of the synagogue back in the day means you're being kicked out of religious life. It means you're being kicked out of social circles. It pretty much means you're being kicked out of everything. You're going to spend the rest of your life as an outsider. So the parents find themselves trying to walk a really thin line with this group of people. They're trying to walk this line and to say, yeah, it's him, it happened, but deal with him. Don't deal with us. So I think what they saw was a problem when they looked at their son. They saw conflict. They saw a threat. And they were afraid. You know, this happens to us a lot. We see something that is horrifically wrong something that we all agree is wrong, but you know that if you act, it's going to cost you. So it is just easier to get on with life and do nothing. I was watching a PBS show, 
I only saw a part of it about a week or so ago about um, Native Americans in Canada. And yes, there were Native Americans in Canada. And yes, they were called Americans because it's still America. Now, for years and years and years, the story that Canadians told themselves was that it was those rotten people south of the border, us. They told themselves that it was the United States that they were the bad guys when it comes to treatment of Native Americans. But then the last couple years, there's been some research in Canada, and it's been published, and it's been on TV, and they've made movies about it. And that research has shown how badly Native Americans were treated in Canada. And it is really causing some turmoil in Canada, some upset, some anger, because Canadians for the first time are having to look at the core beliefs about themselves and their country, and they don't like it. And they're having to readjust their beliefs. They're having to face the truth that their country is not the country that they thought it was. You know, a really funny thing is happening in Canada. Lots of Canadians are refusing to accept it. Too painful, too ugly. It's just too hard to challenge the cherished beliefs we have about ourselves. So you know what they're doing? They're rejecting it. It's way too easy to engage in mental gymnastics, way too easy to find experts who are going to come in and say, well, it really wasn't as bad as they say it was. The Native Americans, they were really doing that by choice. They were forced they weren't forced into this. This was their choice, yada, 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 yada. Because, see, it's really, really easy to find ways to reject the truth, especially if it threatens our core beliefs about ourselves. And that's the difficulty these parents of this blind man were in. They see a threat, not a son. They see a problem to be avoided, not a son. And I don't know about you, but that's kind of heartbreaking. And I happen to think there's a really, really important lesson here for us if we're willing to listen to Scripture. And the lesson is that we will work very, very hard to hold on to our cherished beliefs even if it means we choose to be blind to the truth. Now, the Pharisees. I find all of these people in this story to be heartbreaking to me as their biases are being exposed. To me, it's heartbreaking. But this is the one that is especially heartbreaking to me because the Pharisees, although they're comic book bad guys today in our age, the truth is that the Pharisees were men who were thoroughly devoted to obeying God with their lives. Nobody else in the day of Jesus was so thoroughly devoted to faith as these guys. They were so close, so close to the kingdom of God, but so far away. So these Pharisees looked at the exact same blind man that Jesus did. They looked at a guy who had been blind all of his life, 
never saw a sunrise, never saw a bird in flight, never saw a face, never saw a tear, never saw a smile, and now he sees. And there is not one moment of joy that he's healed. Not one second of joy. No congratulations, no happiness. They simply cannot get past their hatred for Jesus. In fact, to me, this is so revealing. When it becomes clear as they interrogate people, and it becomes clear to them that this is the blind man, and that he's now healed, and that Jesus did it, they actually say, they will, for our benefit, they will put their bias into words. They will actually say out loud, well, we know this man is a sinner, speaking of Jesus. We know he's a sinner. He can't be from God because he's a sinner. You see their bias? No matter what good this person did, they will always see Jesus through the lens of this man is a sinner. There has to be another explanation for the good that he did. He's a sinner. And if you read the story, the sin that Jesus committed He broke one of their Sabbath. Actually, he broke several of their Sabbath rules. Jesus was a sinner because he broke their Sabbath rules. Now, for those of us who grew up in the church and we grew up memorizing the Ten Commandments, we know that the Sabbath is one of the Big Ten. It's commandment number four in the list of Big Ten. So if it's of the Big Ten, the commandment law has to be important. It has to be important to God if it makes the Big Ten. However... Because of its importance, over many, many, many years, the Jewish people struggled with, well, what does it mean to keep the Sabbath? What does it mean to break the Sabbath? So they tried to figure that out, and over many years, generations, hundreds of years, they started adding commentary to that simple commandment, you know, from the Big Ten. Remember the Sabbath, keep it holy, do no work on the Sabbath. They started adding commentary to what it meant to try to help people understand how you might break this and how you might keep it. And then sadly, over time, that commentary became law itself. And the man-made law became as important as the God-made law. And here's what we know. When we read the man-made law, when we read the Jewish commentary, we know that Jesus was guilty of breaking the Sabbath law in at least two ways. One of the Sabbath laws, one of the things he broke is, that one of the Sabbath laws said that doctors weren't allowed to work on the Sabbath like anybody else. So you were not allowed to heal anybody on the Sabbath because that's working. Now, interestingly, they, they kind of gave away sometimes they said it is possible on the sabbath to save a life if a person is dying but they actually said all that you could do is prolong the guy's life so that he can actually be healed when the sabbath is over that was their rule now obviously jesus in healing this man had done medical work he didn't save a guy's life he'd just done the medical work so he broke their law in doing that and then the second thing that he did that was illegal and the bible talks about this in john 9 is he made clay by spitting in the ground and mixing it up with his fingers he made clay put it on the man's eyes and there was a a rule that actually said you're not allowed to make clay for a pot on the sabbath so jesus broke that rule as well now it's kind of heartbreaking to me because jesus read from the exact same scripture that those people read from. The exact same scripture. They both read the same commandment. 
Remember the Sabbath. Keep it holy. Do no work on the Sabbath. And yet even in reading the same scripture, Jesus was able to know the true purpose of the Sabbath and they had lost it. And that scares me. That scares me. Because it makes me ask, what am I failing to see when I read the scripture? What am I missing? So anyway, in Deuteronomy chapter 5, where the Ten Commandments are repeated, God actually explained the Sabbath to the Jewish people, and he said to them, look, the Sabbath is a gift to you. The Sabbath is a gift of rest. And rest, biblically speaking, is a concept that does not just mean, well, you get a Sunday afternoon nap. Rest means shalom. Rest means you get peace of life. You get freedom. And in Deuteronomy chapter 5, God explained to the Jewish people that he, God was saying, look, this is a gift for all of you. And he spelled out, it's a gift for the children among you. It's a gift for the women. It's a gift for the slaves. It's a gift for the servants. It's a gift for the foreigners. It's even a gift for the animals, God said. He said, remember, I'm giving you this gift of rest and you need to remember I'm giving it to you because you were once slaves in Egypt and I chose to give you rest and give you freedom. He gave them freedom. He gave them their lives. So Jesus read that and he understood that the purpose of the Sabbath was not to restrict us, but he said, I get it. It's a gift of freedom. It's a gift of life, a gift of peace, a gift of joy. So as far as Jesus was concerned, is there a better day of the week to give a blind man the gift of sight than the Sabbath? Is there a better day of the week than to give a man who's been all of his life a slave to blindness? Is there a better day of the week to give a man freedom and rest than the Sabbath? Jesus understood that and they didn't and it's kind of heartbreaking. They looked at the same man born blind and they failed to see him because they could not get past their hatred of Jesus. In fact, I think that's probably one of the most important lessons here. They looked at Jesus, they looked at Jesus and they said simply, look, we know he's a sinner and there's their bias. That's what in front, is in front of their eyes. That's what's blinding them to Jesus. They can't hide it. We know he's a sinner. And because of that, because of that bias, it was impossible for them to look at a man who'd been healed and to see the kingdom of God at work. It was impossible for them to see that the Messiah is now here and he is bringing the presence of God into our world. They cannot look at that and see that the redemption of a broken planet is now underway and this planet is being redeemed and restored because right in front of their eyes, they see it happening, but they say, well, we know he's a sinner. It's astonishing to me how our biases can blind us. It's amazing to be blind by choice. Which brings me to the last man in this story, the only man other than Jesus who was actually able to see in this whole story. And the only other one than, other than Jesus who was actually able to see was a man who was blind all of his life. 
He's the only one in this story who sees. This guy who was blind all of his life, when you read through what he's seeing, he goes through this incredible progression with Jesus. At first, when he's asked, and if you're looking at your, I don't even, I thought I wrote down the verse, but when he's first asked about who healed him, all that the man knows, he says, he says all I can say is it was a man named Jesus. That's all he knew. Later on, as he starts to process this, he's being interrogated, and he says, look, he has to have been a prophet of God to do what he did. He has to have been a prophet. And later, again, as he's being interrogated, and he's looking at these men who are blind because of their bias, the blind man actually humorously takes their words and their logic, and he turns it against them, and he says to them, you say, you say that God won't listen to a sinner, but God listened to this man. So how can he be a sinner? No one could heal the blind unless he's a man of God. An amazingly simple concept. And he gets it, and they don't. And then finally, this blind man will meet Jesus face to face. He will confess his faith in Jesus, and he will fall to the ground, and he will bend his knee to his Savior and Lord Jesus. This is an astonishing story to me because you have all these people, all these different people, disciples, neighbors, parents, Pharisees, all these people, and yet there are only two people in this whole story who can really see. One was Jesus, and one was a formerly blind man. And I don't know about you, but that shakes me up. It scares me. And I think it should, if you really take Scripture seriously. Uh, there's a book by uh, a young woman named Deborah Tannen. It's called You Just Don't Understand. And in this book, Deborah tells a great story about her great aunt who was widowed for many, many years. Her husband had died when she was young. Her great aunt now lived in a nursing home. She was in her late 70s. And Deborah describes her. She says that she was obese. She was going bald. Her hands were twisted by arthritis. She walked bent over. And Deborah says, this is not the picture of someone that you might think of as a person who is going to fall in love. And yet she did. She was in love with a gentleman who also lived in a nursing home. He was in his 70s as well. They fell in love. They would often spend weekends together. And Deborah, in talking to her great aunt about this relationship, her aunt, in trying to explain to Deborah how important this relationship was to her, her great aunt told Deborah this story. She said, One evening I had dinner out with my friends. When I got home later that evening, he, meaning her male friend, he called me and he asked about dinner. He listened to me while I talked. And then he asked, and what did you wear? And Deborah wrote at this point, she said, my great aunt got choked up and cried a little bit. And she asked me, do you know how many years it has been since anyone asked and anyone cared 
what I wore. Do you know how many people there are in our world that just want to be seen? They just want to be seen. They just want to be heard. Maybe you're one of them. Problem is a lot of us are too busy talking, too busy posting. We're not listening at all. Not at all. I think of the brother of James, or the brother of Jesus named James, who wrote a book, a letter in our Bibles, and it said very simply, be slow to speak and quick to listen. I think it's high time that we people of faith start listening. And so we will. Very soon we're going to start having conversations with our black brothers and sisters, people we dearly love, and we will listen to each other. I think it's time. And you know why? Well, I know I'm mixing metaphors here, talking about listening and seeing, but here's the deal. Jesus once met a man born blind. And of all the people who saw him, only one, only one, saw a man born blind. Everybody else in the crowd was blinded by their biases. And that's sobering to me. That's sobering to me. And it should be to you as well if you take Scripture seriously. And we do, don't we? Then to flip the story, the blind man, of all the people in the crowd, the blind man was the only one who really saw the truth about Jesus. And if you want to know the truth about every single one of us, myself included, when it comes to Jesus, every single one of us starts out blind. Every single one of us. There's a great song that we sing. It may be the most popular Christian song of the last century. It's a song about amazing grace. And in it, it says, I once was blind, but now I see. And when it comes to Jesus, that's where every single one of us starts. We all start out blind. And if you want to see, it's Jesus who gives us sight. So, do you want to see? Let's pray. God, I want to pray that we human beings, people who are devoted to following you, 
God, I pray that you'd humble us and remind us that every single one of us starts out blind. It's you who give us sight. You heal us. Pray, God, that we'll be people who desperately want to see. God, I pray that you'll help us to be people who want to see other human beings the way you do as well. I pray that you'll heal us, that you'll heal our church, that you'll heal our country, that you'll help us to be people who see. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to know more about Horizon Church, please go to the website at horizonconnect.org. Have a great week.